0: Welcome to What We Leave, A Study of Fourth Faith Legacies. In this five-session Bible study, we're looking at the faith of Peter and asking ourselves, how can we let God build strong legacies of faith in our own lives as well? As with all of our studies, we'd love to walk alongside you, and we want you to know if you need prayer or just have questions, we'd be honored to connect with you. Please feel free to contact us at women at rpcstaff.org. Now get comfy, grab a pen and paper, and get ready to join our teacher, Chris Murphy, as she walks us through the faith legacy of Peter. Father, um, we come to you tonight, and uh, we thank you so much for the life, the legacy of Peter. Um, And tonight we're excited to see some of his last words, some of the words he left behind and the legacy that continues to live on. And Father, um, we pray while we're in this room or listening online today, God, that, um, that we can have a legacy that follows you, God, that we can have a legacy that um, isn't just about getting a golden ticket, but instead it's about growing into who you want us to be. And so today we give our lives to you and we say, um, lead us, and then we're following. Father, thank you so much for the life of Peter. Thank you for so much for your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Lesson five, that's five, that's five times that we've done this. It's so exciting, isn't it? Um, if, you, if you did your homework this week, if you worked on your lesson, you saw that I performed a miracle, did I not? I crammed a whole bunch of stuff into a couple days worth of, of lesson. Um, no, it was, it was difficult because it was like, I remember when I was writing it, you know, I got to this point in Peter's life and I remember thinking, oh, wait, we're getting to the end of what we know, what we have of Peter. And it was hard. It was like, we could have done a whole study, right? Over all the things that we had this week. We talked about, um, first Peter, we talked about second Peter, the two letters, which we hit those in like two questions. You're welcome. It was crazy. And then we looked at, um, the end of his appearances in acts, essentially in acts 12. Um, I was thinking when, um, when I was writing this and when I put all these words down, you know, I wrote in your, in your workbook, about my friend, my friend Junie. Um, If you know Junie, then you probably were smiling when you read it, because you know this is how he lives his life. And I remember um, shortly after the loss of his wife and only daughter in a tragic accident, I remember the the anniversary coming around and and Junie blowing my mind by saying that um, he wants to live a life that remains desperate for God. And I thought, man, if only I can have a legacy like that, right? That I can live in the midst of the hard, the suffering, the pain. Well, Junie, that's how he lives and he continues to live out every day that way. Um, Peter, our Peter, it reminded me of him. You know, I feel like even in the last words that we see, that we, get to, that we get to hear from Peter, I feel that desperateness. And today we're actually gonna be, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Second Peter, um, the first chapter of 2 Peter and we're gonna look at some desperate words. We're gonna look at some, um, some really impactful, some heavy um, parts. Uh, I think it's basically what he wants us to be left with. And so we're gonna look at that. Um, I mentioned last words, left words. You know, uh, as I was thinking through this, I thought, isn't it, I don't know if y'all are like me, I get kind of obsessed. Anytime I see like an article or anything that talks about someone's last words, I'm always, I always perk up. I'm always fascinated by that, you know, because someone's last words, they matter greatly, don't they? And so I did a little research and I found some interesting, a couple of interesting folks who had some interesting last words that were recorded. And I thought y'all might find them interesting as well. George Washington, he said, um, his last words, I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. Those were his last words. John Newton, you know, he is that, um, he's the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. And if you've never um, heard about his testimony of faith, it is, it, is, it is awe-inspiring. But his last words were, I am still in the land of the dying and I shall be in the land of the living soon. How about that? Looking forward to what he knew was certainty that was coming. J.S. Bach Interestingly, he said, don't cry for me, for I go to where music was born. You know the words of uh, Todd Beamer when you say that name. A lot of people remember um, um, 9-11, and he was the, the guy on the United Flight 93, and his last words were, are you ready? Let's roll. What a legacy, right? Like that, That's the last thing we heard from his voice. Another one I found that I loved was Bo Diddley and he died giving a thumbs up as he was listening to the song, Walk Around Heaven and his last word was, you ready? Wow, that cool? Last words, last words matter. Um, When you hear someone talk about last words, you you always want to know what was going on in that moment, right? Well, Peter's last words, we don't know the exact last words because we actually lose some history from the Bible. We have other documents that give us a lot of history of how he died, but we don't know his last words. But what we do know, we do know the words that were left, the letters that were left. First and Second Peter, those letters, you know, so much of what we studied in the Gospels and then in Acts, I mean, we saw Peter quoted, you know, because remember he was a preacher now and he had a lot to say, but these are actually, you know, pen to paper what Peter had to say to specific people and then also us today. And so I, I, I find that so cool. You know, I think about words that have been left that matter to me, um, I mentioned my friend Chi He who passed away. You know, uh, Chi He was this person. She was this person in my life. She came to the very first Bible study that I ever taught. She was in my very first small group that I ever led a discussion for at Rock Point. And she was always encouraging me, like the most encouraging person. Like she had this precious presence about her, Um, but she was also just this small stature. And when she would walk up, she'd walk up at the end of when I was talking and I always knew oh something great was coming if she was walking up and she'd walk up and she'd hand me something. You know, one day she handed me a sandwich. She's like, I just made this for you. And I was like, okay. I'll take it. I don't even care what it is. But many times she wrote me letters. She wrote me notes. She wrote me emails. And I have so many of them. In fact, when I was working through this, it was funny how God brought it to my attention. Like one of my, one of my um, Chihi emails came up. And it was when we were studying the Psalms like five years ago. And she had actually written out the entire Psalm 40 personalized to me from God. That was Chihi, you know. So her letters were left and they mean something to me. I have um, my dad's Bible. Anybody have someone precious that you lost and you have their Bible or, or a book or something and, or, or you see their handwriting, right? And it just does something to you, right? I have my grandfather's love letters to my grandmother from World War II. I mean, these are the things, the words that are left. And so today we're going to look at um, what potentially could have been some of the last words from Peter, but they're definitely words that he left behind for us. We're going to learn about his last words. We're going to examine the left words, and then we're going to finally finish up talking about the legacy of Peter that lives on. So, I mentioned we are going to be in um, the second Peter, the letter, the second letter. There's a few facts, though. You know how I am. I'm an info junkie, right? Like, and I I can't, I can't stand it. I have to get context. Okay, so. I did so much research because I don't know about y'all, but I've never spent an extended amount of time studying the letters of Peter. And so I wanted to make sure we kind of knew what was going on um, before we dug in to Second Peter. And so a couple of quick facts about the letters, about both of them, okay? Um, they were probably written around the same time and they were written, we believe sometime before AD 65, okay? And that date is significant, I'll explain that in just a minute. AD 65 is probably when it was writ- they were written we believe they were written by Peter. Spoiler alert! But this is interesting. There are some disagreements about Second Peter about whether or not he actually penned it. And honestly, everything I read, I can't imagine that he didn't. But there were some differing um, the ways it, the way it was written. Some of the way the words were used. Sometimes the sentence structure was a little different than the first letter. But we do believe that um, Sylvanus, it was a, he was a secretary of Peter, probably penned the first letter. So that might explain why there's some differences. Um, in style from 2 Peter. To whom was it written? Well, 1 Peter, if you remember, I think we read that actually in our homework, there was a whole bunch of places listed, right? Like a bunch of, it's like, kind of like, yeah, I'm writing to the guys and girls in these places. And he listed a bunch of places. Do you remember that? Well, the interesting fact about that is that those um, were specific places that Paul was forbidden from going there to preach. And so it has more significance. We know that from Acts 16, 7. We know that from Romans 15, 20. And so these were specific places that Peter was ministering to that no one else was, okay? We don't know for sure if Peter had ever visited them before he actually wrote the letters because he doesn't give um, personal greetings, and that's just, that's just kind of a guess. We're not for sure about that. But we believe that 2 Peter, while 2 Peter didn't list out all those names and places like 1 Peter did, we believe it was written to the same people. In 2 Peter, he specifically references the previous letter that I wrote. And so that's why we believe I probably wrote that one. And then he's probably following up with this second one. Okay. What style was it written in? Um, it's a letter sometimes called an epistle, which is just a fancy church word for letter. Um, <laughs> It's a circular letter. And what that means is it was intended to be moving around to different churches, okay? And the audience, we think, was a mixed group of Gentiles and Jewish Christians, which is kind of appropriate, right, when you think about our Paul, right? Because he was the one who sacrificed so much to bring them together. And so here he is in the last, who knows, um, years of his life, writing letters to encourage those whom he brought together under faith in Jesus. So I think that's super cool. Uh, A couple things we know about this letter. Peter was a wordsmith. There's a hundred, this is crazy. This, this got me out. I get excited about stuff like this. There were 119 words in the letters that appear nowhere else in the entire New Testament. Not funny. Peter, wordy Peter. He had so much to say. He alludes to Paul 18 different times in these letters often referring to Romans. In fact, most of the references are Romans 13. And so it's kind of neat, right, to think like maybe that was his favorite chapter of that letter. First Peter deals with a lot about suffering. Um... It was probably, I mentioned before, if it were written during 65 AD, like we believe, it was probably being penned during the fires, the Roman fires in 64 AD. You see a little history. Um, Nero was, was running Rome at the time, and he, there was these big fires that were destroying the city. And one of his ways to be clever and try to turn people against Christians is to blame them for the fires. So they were being persecuted at a new level, okay? So when he's writing this letter, think about it. They have been going through figurative and literal fires, okay? So that's probably why there's a lot about suffering in the first letter. In the second letter, he borrows a lot of themes from the book of Jude, which is kind of interesting. And also, it's a poignant farewell, okay? And and it's, it's, there's, there's an urgency about second Peter. If you've read it in comparison to first Peter, it's like he knows that there's important things that have to be said and they have to be said fast and now, and we'll see why in just a minute. It's his own Exodus, if you will. Well, A couple of people, I thought those were interesting quotes about the letters of Peter. Eugene Peterson, he's the one who translated the entire Bible into common language, okay? Um, He said this, Eugene Peterson said, The two letters Peter wrote exhibit the qualities of Jesus that the Holy Spirit shaped in him, a readiness to embrace suffering rather than prestige, a wisdom developed from experience and not imposed from a book. A humility that lacked nothing in vigor or imagination. Those are big words, huh? Michael Card wrote a book about Peter. And in his book, he said this about the letters. He said, he has poured out his life trying to obey Jesus's final admonition to feed and care for his sheep. Remember that? And he has lost everything for the sake of the call and his possessions, his authority, all lost. As he looks at his own death squarely in the face, he fearlessly thinks only of the fate of the little flock he will leave behind. And he writes for them and for us in these two precious letters. Wow, right? What a wrap up to a legacy you know, no longer is he concerned about his well-being. This Peter, Peter, our crazy Peter, you know, from way back when who is was chopping ears off and jumping out of boats and all the things. Here he is saying, I will give it all for you to know. That's Peter. well, today we're gonna look at a little short passage in Second Peter I mentioned. It's a passage of promises for those of us who have trusted Jesus. It's a passage for us today. Um, it's the words he left. First Peter uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at specifically verses 5 through 7. So we're going to look at a little short passage, seven points, and then we're going to move on. But um, yeah, I, just, I, I couldn't end this time without looking at these urgent words. Um, before we even get into that text, which is where we're going to be, verses 5 through 7, chapter 1, I wanna jump ahead for a minute, just do it all out of order and share something with you because when you, re- when you hear his words, okay, when we reread them and talk about, I think you talk about them in your homework too, I want you to realize that they are urgent for a reason and here's why. If you jump ahead to chapter one, verse 13, it goes like this. I think it right, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of a reminder since i know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our lord jesus christ made clear to me verse 15 and i will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to you may be able at any time to recall these things you see peter knew this his death was near and we don't know how he knew. We don't have those details. But from these verses, we know that every word that is spoken, it's kind of like those quotes, those last words, right? Like it's all of a sudden, every word has weight that's different than it did before. Last words, urgent words. A few reminders when you're looking at this passage. It's, this is important to remember because sometimes it can be misconstrued if you don't understand the context. It is written to believers, it is written to people who have already um, given their lives to Jesus. They've already, they've already transferred their trust to him and what he did on the cross. He's not trying to convert people, but rather he's trying to help them understand how in their faith they can now grow, okay? And so that's a specific audience. You're gonna see um, in this entire letter, which obviously we're not gonna cover the whole thing, that it's about the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God, not me, not you. It's about God and his sovereignty and his sufficiency, not your ability to do anything really. We have a part to play. Philippians 2, jot this down. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, these are Paul's words. And I love it because I feel like um, Peter is echoing these words by telling us what we're going to cover today is um, verse 12 says that you're gonna work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, God does the changing, right? But we get to play a part. I love that. I love that Peter is not simply satisfied with us getting the golden ticket of salvation and then saying, go back and live however you wanna live because you're gonna be in heaven someday. No, he's basically through this section is gonna be echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus says in like Luke 17 or something, I'm jumping ahead, that the kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is now. It's not buy your ticket, say Jesus save me and then wait, it's now. And Peter is urgently encouraging us to live like we believe that. Well, it's funny. So this section, I, th- I thought this was kind of interesting. I saw, um, okay, so this section in verses five through seven is, 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 is basically um, showing us how to grow, okay? I mentioned that before. So Warren Wiersbe said this, and I thought this perfectly kind of encapsulates the idea. It, it, he said that where there is life, meaning you've accepted life through Jesus Christ, you're born again, there must be growth, right? Because if there's not growth, there's what? There's death. So where there is life, there must be growth. And so this is Peter ending his life, giving us these last amazing left behind words, telling us, now this is how you do it. This is how you're gonna do it. I started thinking like, uh, you know, I was very convicted about this, like thinking, okay, it, it, to me, it felt like vitamins, okay? Or like, you know, broccoli or something. You're, trust me, stay with me, broccoli. You know, you have kids and, and the kids won't eat broccoli, right? Like I'm pretty sure my son was raised like the first 10 years of his life on, you know, Swedish fish and gummy bears. I think that was the most, the most nutritious thing he ate. But the thing is like, he didn't eat vegetables until recently, all of a sudden he called me from college and he goes, mom, guess what? And I'm like, what? And he goes, I like Brussels sprouts. And I said, that is not cool because I've already made them for a thousand years and you never eat them, right? Well, it's kind of the same here. (laughs) Here's the deal. He can live this life where he lives just on Swedish fish and hot tamales and gummy bears, right? You you can survive. But when you add in the things that make life better, make your body function better, make you stronger, vitamins and, and vegetables and proteins and things that were intended to build us up and grow us, Your quality of life changes. Everything changes. I thought thought about vitamins. You know what else I thought about? Because I went camping this weekend, this last week. So this is what I was thinking about. I was thinking about... I know nothing about constellations, other than I have an app on my phone. That's, I'm pretty, I'm pretty knowledgeable if I hold my phone up to the sky. But anyway, so I live in suburbia. So in suburbia, I'm sitting in my backyard, you know, and I'm looking at. I'm like, oh, there's a big dipper, there's a little dipper, that's about all I know. Hold my phone up, I'm like, oh, there's some other things and stuff. And so I'm looking, looking, oh, it looks really cool. Great, right, wonderful. Until you go in the middle of nowhere and there's no noise. And there's no visual noise, right? You know what I'm talking about. There's no nothing, no clouds, nothing. And you look up and you're sitting there by your campfire and you look up and you go, hold on. There's like millions of those things up there. We don't have those in suburbia, right? You know what I'm talking about. You just look up in the sky. The expanse of it all is overwhelming. And it's like, that's what I want to see every time I look up at the sky, you know? I think about... Um, big important things in life that, like, like contact lenses for people with old eyeballs. Can we be proud of me that I've been wearing contact lenses? I need a little credit for that. But you know what is funny? Like I didn't realize how bad my eyes were getting because I just kind of kept looking at life through these foggy old eyes. And then one day they put the little things and I'm like, holy cow. Hey, there's like letters over there. You know, all of a sudden everything is clear. Everything is bigger. Everything is, is, is better. And I feel like that's what Peter's telling us here. He is urging us with desperation. Don't just take the ticket. Don't just say yes to Jesus and then turn back and live the way you did. I think about, um, I was 15, you know, when I accepted Jesus. And I think about how many years of my life I just took the ticket, you know? Claimed him, loved him, prayed to him, lived my life the same way. Anybody? And then it took a really rough part of my life, a really terrible tragedy, walking along with my friend and watching her suffer and ultimately lose her battle to cancer to realize, oh, wait, there's more, you know? There's more to this life. There's more stars to see if I just try to grow instead of die. And so Peter is urging us, please don't be 15-year-old Chris and live in this dull, boring, Life of faith when you can live this amazing new thing that is just so magnificent. That's what God intended. That's what Peter's trying to teach us. Well, where there's life, there has to be growth. Um, Are you drawing on the divine power, or are you just living like you always did? With me, would you look at Second Peter chapter one verses five through seven? I'm going to read it in the ESV, and then I'm going to read it in the Message because that speaks to my brain, and so maybe it might speak to yours too. So. Um, here's, here's verses five through seven in the ESV. This is where Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Like I said before, you have your faith, but now he wants to make it better. Okay. With virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Seems simple, right? This type of, um, of revealing character traits of God is essentially what we're seeing. These are character traits of God and we wanna grow and to be more like him. It's called a ladder of faith. And Paul uses it a couple of different times. He, he does the similar kind of layout of different things in Romans 5 in Galatians 4 and 1 Timothy 6, where it's basically saying um, that these things have a progression, okay? It's not like you can't have one without the other, but it's saying, when you supplement your faith, because faith comes first, right? Remember, these are all believers at this point. But when you start supplementing your faith with virtue, and then all of a sudden you supplement your virtue with knowledge, and then all of a sudden you supplement your knowledge with self-control, and then self-control with steadfastness, and then steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and then brotherly affection with love, you've basically bookend what it means to grow your Christian faith. You've started with faith and you've ended with the most important thing, which is what? Love. And so just in these two little verses, these seven words, Peter has much to tell us about how we're to live after Peter's long gone. Amen. The message says it like this, verse five. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. He says a lot, doesn't he? He says a lot to the people that are receiving this letter that he urgently needs them to understand something, but he says a lot to us. You see, the people we believe at the time when they received the second letter, okay, that there was so much false teaching going on, okay? And, and later in the, in the chapter, if you keep reading, and later in the book of Second Peter, you'll see he'll address it specifically. He'll go, here's the deal, there's these imposters and they're saying this and don't believe them. And here's how you know to not believe them. You go back to how you're gonna grow your faith. So it makes perfect sense why he starts the letter with that. Well, seven characteristics I mentioned we're gonna go through about a growing Christian and that's for us today. Seven characteristics. The first he mentions is virtue, the word virtue. And in the message, remember, he called it good character. Virtue, basically what that means, it's like moral excellence, okay? It's like displaying God's character through your life. And it honestly, this one out of all of them is kind of the hardest to grasp, right? Because it feels a little like, it feels a little gaudy. That's a terrible word. God-ish? That better? No, it's not better either. But you know what I mean? Like, it's hard because we see things in human quality, right? Like, we, we are, like, seeing everything in, in, in personified by, by our humanness. And instead, this is saying um, you need to look at things from a divine perspective. Better word? Divine perspective. Virtue, good character, moral excellence. The second thing that um, Peter says is a characteristic of a growing Christian is knowledge. The message says spiritual understanding, knowledge or spiritual understanding. The word here is, I thought of it this way, it's the moral compass. You know, when you accept Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have a moral compass, whether you like it or not. You, you may go back to living the same way you used to live, right, but there's something. Have you ever felt the something? You know, something that just kind of tells you like, this is not the way we need to go, right? You may ignore it and you may tamp it down and you may turn around and make the same choices you always made, that absolutely happens. But, but you can't deny that there's something a little different and it's and inexplainable. It's like, I don't know how else to explain it other than it's, it's just this, this moral compass, this thing that keeps trying to turn you back to your true north, no matter how hard you fight. It's gained only by seeking the source of all wisdom and knowledge, you know that? knowledge and spiritual understanding it's only when we chase after god only that's the only place we're ever going to find this this isn't self-help books this isn't good blogs it isn't a great podcast it's the source himself and his word well the third thing the third uh, character trait of a growing christian that peter wants us to understand is self-control self-control we all have it we can skip that one right like totally skip it fine okay good no Self-control. I I like how the message put it, alert discipline, alert discipline. Well, self-control is essentially keeping your passions under control keeping your passions under control Paul refers to it often in his letters and and talking about um, athletes you know he compares it to how athletes are when they're training for something because they have to be disciplined don't they if they're training for some massive race there's no way they can just show up I mean they can but it'll be ugly to show up on the starting line one day you got to train and you got to you got to deny yourself and you got to keep your desires to not do it under control don't you doesn't come naturally. Self-control doesn't come naturally. I, I, um, I asked permission before I share this story. I have a nephew. His name is Christopher and he's an inspiration to me. You see, here's why he's an inspiration to me because I have watched, he's in his twenties. He's doing that part of life. Um, and I have watched, uh, the struggle and I've watched uh, substance abuse and I've watched the searching and I've watched all these things happen earlier in his life. And um, he was living the life, man, um, trying to medicate trying to survive, and then um, in the midst of the darkest times, we kept saying, okay, he's about to hit rock bottom, and then we're like, oh, wait, there's another bottom. Okay, hold up, still another bottom, right? Like, it was one of those situations where he kept hitting the rock bottom, and my sister, bless her heart, was just struggling through. What do I do? What do I, how do we help? And we essentially just have to stand back and pray, right? You have any of those people in your life? Well, several years ago, of the rock bottom for him was when his best friend overdosed. And and I wish I could say that in that moment, in the overdose moment, that everything turned around, but it didn't, it got a lot worse. The bottom kept falling out, you know? Christopher, he kept trying to find something to fill the holes, you know? Trying to find the way to, to make everything okay to numb the things that he didn't wanna deal with. We all do it in our own ways, right? Well, The story of Christopher has got a pretty cool moment in time that just happened this last October. You see my my nephew, Christopher, he now lives in the mountains with my other brother, you know, that I always talk about, Steve, the mountain man. Well, he lives in that same town and he has decided the mountain life is for him. You see, a few years ago, he hit one of those rock bottoms and decided I'm done um, trying to medicate, I'm done with substance abuse and I'm done with suicidal thoughts and reckless behavior. It was hard, you know, because you can't just make a decision like that and then everything turns around because you've got community and you've got things. And so he up and moved to the mountains. And you know what happened? This last October, my nephew, who I am not gonna lie, there were times in his life where I was, I just didn't know how the story was gonna end. This kid decided that he loves climbing mountains. And when I say climbing mountains, that means running up them, okay? With shoes and like legs and running, like real body things. Well, he decided he was gonna compete in this, um, in this competition and it was to see how many vertical feet you could get in one month. And you know what my, my nephew did? My nephew who used to um, turn to drugs and alcohol and, and, and brokenness and my, my nephew ran up and down miles for 424 miles in the month of October. 424 miles. I don't even drive that far, right? But he did it with his legs. And not only did he do that, he gained 253,000 feet of vertical. He ended up finishing sixth in this this worldwide competition. And he climbed 21 different mountain peaks in one month. That's self-control. That's alert discipline. He's made a choice. This is what he's done. He said, and I love following him on Instagram because he's like, I still, I still struggle. In fact, the, the, the uh, anniversary of his friend's death came up and it was hard. And he said, But at midnight, when I'm lonely and when the voices are speaking into me and it's dark, instead of turning to alcohol or drugs or all the things that he used to turn to, you know what he does now? He goes and runs up a mountain at midnight. It's crazy, right? But it's not natural. It's a choice. And so when I saw this self-control, I'm like my my nephew, Christopher, because he's making choices that nobody just does. Self-control. The fourth thing um, is steadfastness. Passionate patience is what the message says. Passionate patience. It's endurance and persevering when circumstances are difficult. You see, Self control is handling and, and modifying your, your pleasures, right? And, and, and deciding, you know, I'm not going to medicate or I'm not going to oversleep, but rather I'm going to do hard work. That's self control. But patience is handling the pressures and the problems. So they're different, right? Patience is handling the pressures and the problems. The only way to learn patience is to endure. Amen? We don't like to hear that, do we? It's like that old joke, right? Don't pay for, pray for patience. I don't want it. Don't give it to me because I know how it comes, right? James 1 verses 2 through four go like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, which is that passionate patience that he's talking about right here. You see, we gotta go through the rough stuff, man, to be able to get to this place where we grow into steadfastness and patience. Well, the fifth thing that um, Peter tells us that we, need to, that we need to strive for to grow our faith is um, godliness, godliness. And, and the message says that's reverent wondering. I love that, reverent wondering. I wrote, you know, it's godlikeness. In other words, it's like a reverence toward God, but it's seeking the will of God, not the will of Christ. It's me running after him, me trying to get involved in what he's already doing instead of trying to get him to fit into my world and my priorities, amen. I thought I mentioned before Jesus had said in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is now when he was talking to the Pharisees because see, they've always lived by these rules and thinking that they are trying to get to something, right? Like this moment of arriving whenever they get to the eternal life. But Jesus said, it's now. And so I think about all these things and I'm like, this is what Peter's telling us too, is that it's now. Like we can live fully the way he wants us to live now. Well, the sixth thing that Peter says is that um, we are to grow, we're to make every effort to supplement, to achieve brotherly affection, warm friendship. Philadelphia is the word, you know that means brotherly love, caring for others. This is something I was thinking about, you know, as I was writing this, I'm like, maybe this was the hardest part for Peter, I wonder, you know, because there's a lot of of debating and disagreeing that goes on in the book of Acts and we know about some of it. And so I wonder, was it hard for him? Was this hard for him to write? Because he's writing from experience, right? When we are trying to love and care for others, we need to be sincere and not pretend, you know? And that's easy when it's people like y'all that are fun to love, like easy to love people, right? But what about when they're not? You know, what about in times of pain or division? What about in times where people are really hard to love? I, I thought of a couple of things because this hit home for me. You know, it's like, I, I think I'm a really good friend until I'm faced with, oh wait, that one person, right? That I just, the sandpaper person, right? That you just are like, I'm just going to be good friends to all y'all and then that person I'm gonna let someone else be friends with her right well we can ask him to help you know that we can ask him to help and we can also pray for that person I know that's hard man it's hard like one of the hardest things ever is to pray for that person that is just the sandpaper person that rubs you the wrong way or how about the person that has wronged you in such a way that you can barely say their name I know there are some of those relationships that we deal with and, you know, I had a few years ago, it was like God pushed me to pray for this one person who had wronged um, somebody in my life. And, and it's, it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's still really hard. But, but this is how it started out. It started out like this. Okay, God, I'm supposed to pray for him. Amen. <laughs> you know, that was it. That was all I had. And then, and the next time it got a little easier. And the next time it got a little easier, you know? And instead of praying, um, catching myself praying for me to pray for him, I got to where I actually was praying for things for him, praying for hope for him. God does that, man. He changes us. When we pray, we're the ones changing most of the time. Amen? So ask him to help you. Ask him, I mean, excuse me, pray for that person. And then remember this. I would say this. This is just a Chris aside, not Peter, but I think he would say it if he were right here with me. Um, Remember that loving others doesn't always look the same. Remember that loving others doesn't always look the same, meaning boundaries can be very, very healthy. I think sometimes we feel as believers that we are to love everyone without any boundaries. We're to just be available to everyone. And I don't think Jesus ever did that, did he? I mean, how many times does he go up by himself? A lot, right? And how many times does he just bring the three and then of course they let him down half the time, right? But seriously, like where in in the Bible does it say you are to love without any healthy boundaries at all, doesn't. I think we have to be wise and remember that sometimes love looks different. Sometimes their priorities are different. Sometimes we have to seek wisdom. Well, off my soapbox, the, the last thing, seventh thing that Peter tells us is a characteristic of, growing, of a growing Christian is love. Is love, generous love. It's agape love. This word here is different than the Philadelphia word um, right above. This is agape, meaning comprehensive, charity, goodwill benevolence. You know, agape love was modeled by Christ. Agape love is not based on a feeling. Rather, it's determined by an act with joyful resolve to put the welfare of other people ahead of yourself. It's like impossible, (laughs) but it's not with him. In verse eight, you know, we covered verses um, five through seven. And in verse eight, Peter says this, he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse nine, for whomever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, therefore brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You know, it's impossible to do these things on your own. It's impossible. We, we, you know, we mentioned a whole bunch of them, like these things don't just happen, right? It's like, God has to be the one to make them happen. And so I love that He gives us that foundation of faith so we can be the broken person that desperately needs self control. And in that moment, through that Holy Spirit, we can find it, you know, even just a morsel of it that might get us to take one step up the mountain, not 494 or whatever, but maybe one, you know? I don't know. Where there is life, there must be growth. We have to grow. Well, Peter's legacy, um, his life ends, but his legacy lives on. There's some things we know about the end of Peter's life. We know that um, he probably spent the last 15 years in the mission field. And some of those mission trips, his wife accompanied him. That's cool, right? We know that um, sources tell us that Paul and Peter died at the same time in Rome under Nero's rule. Did you know that? We know that Paul was beheaded because that was befitting a Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen by birth, but he was also a Jewish um, person as well. But he had, because he was a Roman citizen, he got to have a Roman death. Peter, however, was crucified upside down. And where we, the place we believe that actually occurred is where the Vatican stands now. Isn't that nuts? It's cool, right? Right. Jesus predicted um, Peter's way of death in John 21, if you remember, and little is known about um, what happened to him and how he got to that position. But we do know from extra biblical historical documents, some things that we know um, that there are early writings by historians that tell us that he arrived in Rome, that Paul was on the other hand um, also there. And they were both excuse me, they were both there at the same time and died near at the same time. Chances are both men arrived and lived in the city around the same time under the same rule of Nero, okay? It's been said that the approximate time of death of Peter was during the time of that great fire I mentioned before. And when Nero blamed the Christians for living in the city, then it was just, there was chaos and it was easy to bring these believers, these leaders of the church and string them up and show the world that this was going to end. Well, did it? It didn't. You take the two pillars of the church and you kill them at the same time and yet Jesus is still on the throne. Tradition has it that um, Peter died by crucifixion upside down. According to these accounts, he did not consider himself worthy to die the same death that Jesus died. Peter's faith legacy, you know, it, um, it taught us more through his weaknesses and his struggles than his strengths, didn't it? Didn't it? I feel that it did. He didn't use his prominence, especially later in life, to promote himself. Eugene Peterson, when he speaks of Peter, he calls him a breath of fresh air. You see, at the end of his life, you know, we talked about how he was the rock and how he was the leader and always listed first and he was the pillar of the church and yet he never used his power in a way that elevated himself. In fact, I would say the farther we get into Peter's words and his life and his legacy, the the less Peter we see and the more Jesus we see, amen? You see that? He didn't use his prominence to promote himself. He built a bridge, to save um, one group of people under a saving faith and create one church. I mean, he was the one that built that bridge. He left us with a legacy of following and a hope for us all in the same savior who invited him, who forgave him and who died for him. The rock invites us to be living stones. You know, remember his name means rock. And we see that the church was built upon the rock. Well, in the first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses four through six, Peter says these words, and I think you're gonna find them um, as fascinating as I do. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, meaning Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I love that we are invited into this, right? We trust in the cornerstone. We become living stones. Whatever is living has to grow. That's what Peter's trying to tell us with urgency, because see, he's facing death his last words, do you see yourself as a living stone? Do you live your life having received the cornerstone? Are you this person he's speaking to? Are you the person who's received the faith but not chosen to try to keep living it out? I I think I am sometimes and I don't wanna be, amen? I wanna choose this moment for all seven of those things to rise up in me and grow me. Peter's final words, in um, this letter, Second Peter, go like this. I'm gonna think it's fitting. It's a fitting way for us to end our time talking about Peter. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. These are the words that Peter left for us. Will you pray with me? Father, um, we thank you so much for this life, man. I love that um, there are these words that we get to take with us, that we get to live out and we get to understand and we get to apply. Father, I pray that we don't just be 15-year-old Chris. You know, I, I, We don't wanna be those who, who receive the golden ticket and then don't live the life that you have intended for us. Man, there are constellations aplenty <laughs> and we wanna see them, God. We wanna live fully for you. We love you so much that you give us opportunities, that all of these things, this faith, builds all these different things that ultimately lead us to this place of love, which is what you said is the most important thing. And so God, show us, show us um, where we're lacking. Show us the places we need to grow. And um, Father, just take us with you. We want a legacy of following. We thank you so much that you invite us that you do all the work and essentially we just have to do the ordinary stuff. You do the extraordinary stuff and we are humbled in that. And so Father, um, today we give you our lives. We give you our everyday faith and we pray that you turn it into something eternal and amazing and contagious. And we pray all of these things in your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.